Welcome to the Apple Insider Podcast. This is your host, Stephen Robles. Today, we're going to be talking about new rumors about the iPhone 13, high-end MacBook Pros might be in production, and of course, we'll touch on Apple's new child safety initiatives once again. This episode is brought to you by Posty, ExpressVPN, and Nebia. You'll hear about those in a moment. But joining me this week, my friend Wes Hilliard. How's it going, Wes? Uh, pretty good, Stephen. Coming at you this week from a back door in your iPhone. <laughs> Very good. I didn't know where you're going with that, but yes, yes, we will. We will discuss that and the many Reddit threads that you have been exploring in your your past week. But we'll leave it for the end. That's going to be a big discussion. First, let's get through some of the rumors and news, and then we will get to Apple's child safety stuff. If you didn't see it, there was actually a special bonus episode. I had Jason Aiton from Inc.com on the show. We did a special episode earlier this week, really trying to explain what was going on with the new child safety initiatives, breaking down the systems, technology, what it means for privacy. So if you want the how-tos and the details, that was in that episode. It's the last episode in your feed. Today, we'll talk, I think, more about the reactions and kind of how people are feeling about it and, yeah, if it's warranted. And I think that'll be an interesting discussion, but we'll save that towards the end. First of all, Digitime says that MacBook Pros, the new 14 and 16-inch, hopefully sporting something like the M1X, obviously the higher-end Apple Silicon chips, Looks like they have entered production and that the shipments in August and September should be like in the hundreds of thousands, at least between August and November, whenever they come out or Apple announces them. So I just thought this was interesting because I'm excited to see what these new things are going to be, when they're going to come out. And I don't know, Wes, you think we're going to see it in September, October, November? Are we going to have to wait even longer? What do you think? Just like every other Mac release, this is definitely a fall, like a late product. So October, November is my bet, probably November more likely. And that was when Apple announced the M1 MacBook Air, Mac Mini, and MacBook Pro. So it makes sense, you know, a year later, we see the 14, 16 inch MacBook Pro and hopefully that high-end desktop. Again, there's been rumors that that might be delayed till 2022. I really hope not. I hope it will see it in the fall because I think that's the one I'm going to jump on. But anyway, we'll see if Digitimes is correct in this uh, shipments or productions being ramped up right now. We should see. Maybe late fall. Well, ever since the M1 Max came out, everyone's been like, well, the M2's right around the corner. I mean, it could be early as January. You never know. I mean, Apple could just drop it any day now. And it's just, guys, guys, we we have a global shortage of chipsets and right. Apple's barely meeting the quotas for half the stuff they're shipping anyway. Let's take a breath. I mean, this fall... I could easily see yes, like let's let's get these MacBook Pros and stuff out. But I'm sorry, Stephen, 2022 is looking very likely for that uh, Mac desktop, uh, Mac, oh. Mac Pro. But see, the here's the thing though, I can't remember if I asked you this, but where are we clocking their two year mark? Is it the WWDC announcement or is it the uh, initial release of the M1 Max? I really thought at WWDC when Tim Cook announced Apple Silicon that he said in the next two years. I feel like. You could say the next two years, so that was 2020, you have 2021. I feel like the at the end of 2022 is the latest you would have. New Year's Eve, December New December Year's 31st, <laughs> they released the Mac Pro and they, they, they got it. They barely crossed the finish line. I feel like that's reasonable. I feel like what's likely is that Apple announces the Apple Silicon Mac Pro, the last Mac that'll be transitioned at WWDC in 2022. So that would be the, the next one. Maybe it's available like when the Trash Can Mac Pro was announced, you couldn't buy it until December. And maybe that's the case here. But I don't think we'll see a super late announcement. But I don't know. I I feel like 2022, they have to transition the whole line. 
The question that I have and still wonder about is, will the Intel Mac Pro still hang around with the Apple Silicon Mac Pro? And does that actually make sense is like to say that we've transitioned the whole line is can they still say that absolutely they still offer it yeah i mean okay i mean tim cook even said during the announcement that they have some more intel Macs in the line and um other than some spec bumps we haven't actually seen that yet i'm with the thinking of the two sizes of mac pro we're going to get the big guy with all the intel parts and we're going to get the smaller one with the m series processor and i think that's going to be how it works and that'll probably be the last intel mac we ever see that thing's going to last another decade before it finally gives out so yeah for sure all right well even bigger news i think than that mark german who has his weekly newsletter now that goes out every sunday He started talking about some of the rumors and plans for the iPhone 13 or the 12S, whatever it's called, that's going to be coming out probably in just a month from now. Some of the standout features really having to do with the camera system and some of the mock-ups and the dummy models that we've seen around the internet, Andrew even reported on them as well, is that the camera module looks significantly larger than the current iPhone 12 models. So with that larger camera model, Mark Gurman from Bloomberg is saying some of the new features might be portrait mode, but for video. So if you have a modern iPhone, you know that there's portrait mode. Actually came out with the iPhone 7 Plus, I believe, with that dual camera system. But portrait mode meaning it will do that kind of fake bokeh look where the background will be blurred and the subject in question will be clear to mimic kind of a high-end camera lens that has that shallow depth of field. Mark Herman's saying that might be coming to the iPhone for video, where you can take 4K video and get that portrait mode effect, and also the ability to record in ProRes format directly in the iPhone. That's a format that Apple has long stood by on like their Macs and using in Final Cut and Compressor and all that. So it would be a higher quality video format that you could record and write on the phone. It would probably take up a lot more storage space if you're recording that on the iPhone, but it would give you more quality. My question is, and my curiosity, Wes, you know, portrait mode taking pictures, it can work great. A lot of times it can work really good, look really good, but sometimes you get some weirdness. Like if someone has like, obviously hair is one of the hardest things because there's not like super defined lines between hair and the background. But sometimes, you know, if someone has like hair, if it's, you know, longer hair and there's an opening between like the head, shoulder and hair piece, you know, portrait mode will blur the background, but like that hole right there will not be blurred because, you know, portrait mode thought it was part of the one big shape of a person. And so you get these weird patches of clear image and not. So to do it on video would have to take a tremendous amount of processing power. I'm curious how it would actually turn out. Have you tried the new video features in iOS uh, 15, macOS Monterey, where it doesn't matter what app you're using. Like right now on Skype, we could do it. It uh, You can do a blurring effect on right i say that's going to be very similar to that if not the exact same implementation Mm. i don't think people are going to care about i mean obviously the nerds are going to nitpick like oh look it cut off half of that dude's glasses but at the end of the day i think people just want it for the fun of it and to give them the option just so it's there like i think clips even has this you can go in the clips app and do some kind of special recording i think it's just background replacement maybe not a blur effect but they have all kinds of stuff like that already so just pushing this to the main camera app seems Seems like an easy next step for Apple. I mean, processing intensive, yes, but I mean the the camera's already doing billions of operations in an instant. So right, right. What's one? What's one billion more? Have you have you seen people do like the reason why I say I don't think people care is because have you have you seen?
seen the people who turn on portrait mode on the camera where you get the preview and then they'll screen record that and make a video of them talking in the camera portrait mode view. Yeah. Have you seen this? <laughs> I think I have an amazing workaround. Yeah. Yes. And, and so like if people are okay with that and that's a mess in its own right, like yeah. I think whatever Apple does is going to be just fine for the mass audience. F stops on cameras, right? Uh, right. We understand that's basically how much light's getting through and it pretty much changes how much of the bokeh effect you're getting, right? The iPhone shoots in like an F3000, like I'm exaggerating. It's like F16. Right. It basically says, get as much light in and wide open and focus on everything in the room. You're not targeting anything specific. And then, you know, depending on how close you are to the subject, blah, 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 you get different bokehs, but dial that down a little bit and you start getting that background blur. And that's where portrait mode comes in. And if you've ever used the editor, you can, it usually defaults to something ridiculous, like what, 1.8? The lower the number, the higher the blur, basically, if you haven't right. dealt with this stuff before. Right. I'm expecting for video to keep this from being just a travesty. Uh, Apple will probably default around, I don't know, four, that would be safe. Six would probably be more likely. Just to mm. you know, give it that slight blur, but not go so chaotic that it, you're chopping off body parts, you know, so. Right, right. I wonder if it'll be editable, you know, oh, can, can you do the same with portrait video as you can with portrait photo? Right, that'd be pretty amazing because yeah, when you take a portrait photo, you can adjust the f-stop after the fact, so blur it more, blur it less, and you know, if it didn't do a good job of choosing what to blur, you can just crank it up, or you could say, or crank the blur down and just make the photo clear again, you know, as if you weren't using portrait mode. So that'd be curious. I do feel like this would be the story if this is more of an S cycle meaning the hardware design of the iPhone stays the same as the 12 and 12 Pro, and we're really talking about more internal upgrades, I could definitely see the story at the event being, we have a new processor, it's the A15, and I know some people have even said maybe it'll be the M1 no. in the new iPhone, but yeah, I don't, I don't think so. But it would be the story of, you know, it looks the same as last year's phone, but it is really powerful. And now look what we're using that power for being this portrait for video, ProRes quality video recording on the phone, and then whatever other features that the CPU could deliver. So yeah, I feel like that could be the story. It totally makes sense. If you've been following Apple for more than 15 minutes, you know that this is just how it goes. Everyone's always seems surprised like, oh, all they did this year was upgrade the camera, throw in another lens. It's like, that's what they do every other year. It's the biannual cycle. They've been on Tick, Tick, Talk uh, stuff lately. So it's been right. two to three years on the body cycle. But generally speaking, you can say new body design, new camera design, design processor spec upgrade you know and and generally the second year the year after the body redesign we get just all these camera specs and right at the beginning if you remember before the iphone 12 even got announced we were already hearing about the iphone 13 and how it wasn't going to have a lightning port and it could teleport you to mcdonald's whenever you wanted and stuff like that like those rumors were coming out right off the bat and then like it just got chiseled down bit by bit as we got closer to December, January, which is when Apple finalizes their, you know, plans. Yeah. And pretty much since the beginning of the year, all we've heard is camera, 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 camera. So I'm I'm expecting this to just be a gigantic camera on the back of the phone with all this processing power, all this video output. And uh, yeah, it should be a pretty crazy year for people who care about this stuff, which honestly should be everybody. So should be cool. Yeah, better camera is good for everybody, for sure. And so many people use the iPhone as their main camera. People use it to record video. I've, we've mentioned him the past couple of weeks, but Fernando Silva on YouTube, he uses his iPhone to like make all his YouTube videos. William Gallagher right here at Apple Insider does the same thing. When he makes YouTube videos, it's all iPhone stuff. So yeah, it's great for everybody. And those who get this version of the iPhone 
just for longevity and all that kind of stuff, it'll, it'll help out. So exciting stuff to see what they do with the cameras for sure. This episode is brought to you by Posty. Now listen, I actually have a lot of experience in marketing, both digital and physical, and one of the most useful ways of actually marketing to people, but it can be a complicated process, is direct mail. But in the competitive world of advertising, marketers are always looking for that edge to accelerate growth and reach new customers, and today they're turning to the best-kept secret in marketing, direct mail reinvented for the digital world by Posty. Posty has transformed direct mail by adding all the digital marketing capabilities found in channels like Facebook, Google, and YouTube. I've done direct mail before with other people, other vendors, and it can just be a long process. You got to get your stuff designed over here, figure out who your audience and who you're going to mail it to with this other person. And then you actually have to work on the mailing and postage and all that. But Posty allows you to run direct mail like a digital marketer. It's a one-stop shop where you can build your audiences, set up campaigns, approve the creative and the graphic design, track results all in real time. It's amazing. Posty integrates with your CRM and it can access data sets and build lookalike models from over 250 million U.S. consumers. And so with Posty, you narrow in on your target audience and reach customers that you don't find through other channels. Unlike the old way of doing direct mail, Posty is fast. Fully automated printing and logistics solutions allow you to deploy campaigns in days, not months. And if you've ever tried to do direct mail on your own, you know it can be a long and drawn out process, but not with Posty. Posty campaigns allow you to attract new customers, retarget your website visitors, and re-engage your existing customers to increase lifetime value. So diversify your marketing and stand out with direct mail from Posty. Hurry and get your free Posty demo today by visiting posty.com slash Apple Insider. That's P-O-S-T-I-E dot com slash Apple Insider for a free Posty demo. Posty, direct mail, reinvented for the digital world. Our thanks to Posty for sponsoring this episode. So Apple has partnered with a firm in Canada. And if you've never heard of a firm, you might have seen it like when you're shopping online and stuff. But a firm is a company that basically does a buy now, pay later system. You could think of it as a loan or like credit or whatever. You can pay in multiple payments, sometimes like paying four payments or whatever. But Apple actually launched it in Canada. And so it is available I think now, if you're in Canada and you want to buy something through Apple, a firm is now a purchase option. So it seems to make sense to offer a firm in Canada because Apple Card is not available there. I wonder if that's a sign that Apple does not plan to expand Apple Card to other countries. And we know William Gallagher is hoping for Apple Card in the UK. But yeah, it seems strange. And then Citizens One, if you do the iPhone upgrade program here in the US, they use Citizens One for that loan. I'm curious, are they going to use a firm? For the iPhone upgrade program elsewhere, or will they start using it for the US? I don't know this answer. And so listeners outside the US, I'd be curious to know, if you do the Apple iPhone upgrade program, who is the lender that actually manages the loan? I don't know if Citizens One is international, or if they use like different financial partners per country. So I'd be curious to know that. I think the goal here from Apple is just to make buying Apple products as simple and fast as possible. So if you see at checkout like, oh, you don't need $1,200 today, just do this monthly installment. If they can get that everywhere, that just means more people buying more Apple products. So it makes sense that they would do these partnerships right away. I don't think it's, you know, 
the nail in the coffin for Apple Card going global. It's just a sign that Apple's going to be taking longer on this than we originally thought. Because in the U.S., if Goldman Sachs is distributing the card and acting as the main bank for it, I don't know if Goldman Sachs is global. I mean, I, I think they are. They're a pretty big bank, but right. I'm not sure that they would want to be involved in the global stuff like that. So like, uh, I feel like Apple's going to have to deal with different partnerships with different banks in different countries. And how does that work when they already work with Goldman Sachs and all that? So I think it's just a lot of legal hurdles to overcome. And yeah, this is just a good in between to once again, just get as many Apple products into people's pockets as possible. So yeah, exactly. All right. Well, I wanted to touch on a couple app updates and this might not be a huge deal for for people, but I think these were interesting ones. First of all, 1Password. We've talked about password managers here on the show before. I use 1Password. I use it for personal and business reasons. Like I, I love 1Password. And so 1Password is actually getting a big redesign on the Mac in the new version, 1Password 8. And they have switched how they are building the app. This way they can deploy it across operating systems, Windows, Mac, I think even Linux. And by Doing that, they've gone the route of Slack, which is using the technology called Electron, or they developed the app in Electron, which is basically then pushed out to all the operating systems. It is not, quote unquote, as good as a natively developed app for a specific platform, but it allows a developer to build one app and distribute it among all the platforms. And I saw online there were like kind of varying thoughts about this. Some people were like, all right, well, what are the alternatives for 1Password? Because I want to get out of this before they go Electron, thinking it's going to be a worse experience or something. Others said that in their early days, 1Password used Electron for their Mac apps, and it was actually very quick. And actually, after that, it got slower for other reasons. So they were kind of looking forward to this transition back to Electron. So I, I thought that was interesting. I have not used it yet. But because I'm a huge 1Password user, I will for sure have thoughts once the version 8 is available everywhere. I don't think it's an update just yet. You can like apply for early access right now. It's not like you can go to the app update and version eight is available right the second, but it's coming soon. And I just thought this was an interesting change. And maybe we can also talk about some alternatives, but do you use 1Password too? I, I do. I've I used it for a while. I, I switch back and forth just because I like testing different um, systems. But I mostly always go back to 1Password because of their different capabilities. Like they, they were the first to really implement a good two-factor authentication system for getting, like on iOS, getting that code into your clipboard without having to do anything is a really awesome feature. And I love that. Right. But um, I've been considering switching back to Keychain just because Apple's now made uh, two-factor authentication a part of the system and this move to electron i'm not sure how much it's going to affect me on ios but it it will because electron permeates everything i don't understand why a big developer like one password they i i don't know what their financials look like but i don't see why they can't uh develop you know native apps across the platforms unless they just really want to consolidate teams which it makes sense financially it just doesn't make sense as a user facing perspective yeah yeah for me for me personally right now one password's where some of my passwords are some of them are in keychain i'm kind of transitioning because moving like you know i don't even know how many i have anymore like 300 passwords across is just it's it takes a while yeah not looking not looking fun for this company right i still use one password not just for passwords but also credit and debit cards for like accounts of different kinds and even just secure notes with documents so icloud keychain you know, people were asking, what are the best alternatives? You do have LastPass. You do have like Dropbox's password 
manager thing, but I would recommend Dashlane. Dashlane, look the other into one. Dashlane. If 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 you want something that isn't Keychain or One Password, I would look into Dashlane. They got a great UI. Yeah, I really like the way they've designed everything. I haven't used them in a while, but anytime I check back in, it's just improvements across the board. They they might be Electron. I don't know. So you know, don't sue me. But I've I've always enjoyed that one too. Right, and and I don't think this move to Electron is any kind of like security issue, or it's going to be like a worse no. product overall. It's just it affects the Mac app basically alone. I do think iCloud Keychain. You know, we said it when WWDC happened, but they are bringing one-time passwords, two-factor authentication, the six-digit codes. Like you'll be able to do that with iCloud Keychain built in as a feature. But I feel like until they break it out and have a standalone app for managing those passwords and logins on the Mac and on iOS, that it's just still not a super viable option because it's still just a pain in the neck to have to jump into settings. Yeah, It's not great. Jump into settings, creating a new login. It's just not a great experience. You could do it, I think, but I'm still going to be sticking with one password. If you're someone who changes their password frequently or if it's a part of your job or you find yourself managing passwords, you know, you're going into one password to add a note or do something, then Keychain is certainly not for you because again, yeah, the UI, it's uh, minimal, it's in settings and it's not great. Like there used to be a, you used to be able to create a shortcut and then add an icon to your home screen. Uh, Apple broke all of that with uh, the last few updates. I sure it's still possible, but I don't know the specific URL you're supposed to use anymore for, for, for that. So if anyone knows that, please let me know. Yeah. You used to be able to just jump right in from an icon on the home screen using Siri shortcuts, but even that's not possible now. It's just kind of a mess. But if you're just looking for something that's just simple, it's secure and it syncs across all your platforms and it's free. I mean, Keychain gets all the boxes ticked. It's just not a great UI and it's not going to be easy to manage if you have to manage something um, every so often. Right, exactly. And the other update I just wanted to mention, my favorite to-do app, it's what I use all the time for personal projects and for all my to-dos is Things. And Things 3 was recently updated across the platforms, iOS, iPad, and Mac. And it supports bulleted lists in notes of each to-do, markdown support, which is awesome. I love having markdown support in various places. So now you can do markdown in the note portion of a to-do. Searching your to-dos and things now supports the finding in the text of a to-do, whatever you write in that note section. And they have a new syncing system. Uh, They call it Fractus, but basically it'll sync small changes that are done to to to-dos and notes and to-dos without having to like resync the entire thing or the entire project or your entire database. I'm not exactly sure. Not exactly sure how it was working before, but syncing will be faster and they'll be able to sync those small changes easily. So just great updates to my personal favorite to-do app. How, what is your to-do project manager? What do you go to? Well, hmm, let me let me put it this way. I don't do that much managing and like I'm not creating to-do lists or notes, stuff like that very often. I guess I just don't live a very complicated life. I mean, outside of, I, I have stuff for work. Like I use the Apple Notes app. Let me put it that way. Gotcha. Uh, for, for work, I put what I'm planning to do, take notes on certain things, uh, keeping checklists, all of that's in the Notes app. Uh, reminders I use to uh, keep track of like, have I done this yet today? You know, I have repeating reminders and stuff like that, but it's all very simple. I'm not doing anything too crazy. I've tried these other platforms like things. My biggest complaint, I guess, is is uh, 
I do enjoy Apple's system uh, for reminders, and I like being able to, like, I've used Memento before, if you know what that is, where yes. you get to still use Apple reminders just in a third-party app. I like that ability, and Things uses their own proprietary system, yeah. which is fine. It just means that when I'm doing things, you know, if I use Siri shortcuts, if I tell the HomePod to remind me of something, it's a little more clumsy with apps that aren't using Apple's system. So I would have to use a workaround, like a different command for a Siri shortcut or something like that, which is fine. Again, just not what I need. I, I don't need that much complexity for the amount of use I'm getting out of these platforms. Right, right. And I still use reminders too, just because the Siri integration is so good. Just remind me, you know, this time or on this date or remind me in an hour. And it just, reminders for that stuff just works really well. Quick side tangent. Do you think Apple's kind of given up on these types of integrations? Like they used to be really big on promoting that stuff like Calendar, iCal, it's everywhere. You can, you know, download Fantastical and all your calendar stuff's there. Or, you know, reminders, same deal. Contacts, it's everywhere. But then like you go to the Notes app and it's still just the notes app and no apps really integrate with it the same way it just you know it feels like like there's a dividing line in the middle of apple's operating system like oh here's these apps that share their data and here's these apps that cloister it you know it's kind of odd to me that is interesting notes is one of those things where reminders got a lot of love in the last couple of years you know federico vatici he's always big on all the updates to reminders and how good they are and i think it's sean Blanc from the suite setup he talks about reminders a lot and reminders is like pretty powerful now and has like a lot of features a lot of customizations notes i just feel like doesn't get the same love like the quick note feature in ipad os 15 beta like that's cool but when it actually comes to writing a note editing a note the kind of support like you're saying either with third-party integrations still no markdown support in notes which i understand maybe that'll never come but i just find it kind of a pain to use sometimes like even on ipad we use apple notes for this show so we have shared note folder, me, you, William Gallagher, Neil, we're all in the same folder together. And this is what we use just because it's easiest to share it. It's, it's there. It integrates with shortcuts. Like I actually like that part of notes is that I can create shortcuts that will, you know, bring up a menu of my latest notes and will e like when I'm doing RSS feed research, it's easier to add links to an Apple note because of the shortcuts integration. But then when it comes to like making something a header or subheader on the Mac, I have the formatting bar where I can click, I can select text, like click heading or subheading. But on the iPhone and iPad, it's just kind of annoying to find that. On the iPad especially, you have to use a keyboard shortcut to make something a heading or subheading. There is no formatting bar where you can select text and then click the little A or something and then click heading or subheading. You have to use the keyboard shortcut. Well, the AA symbol shows up in the keyboard tab at the bottom of the screen. But if you're using the magic keyboard, does that show up? Mm, I don't have it connected right now, but I'm pretty sure it does. Yeah, like the, it. as long as there's a system keyboard attached, you get that bottom bar. Okay, hold on now. I'm getting in here. I'm getting in here right now. I'm not unplugging my iPad right now because it's... Yeah, don't, 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 yeah. don't. <laughs> don't unplug your thing. But like, so I'm on my iPad. It's connected to the magic keyboard right now. When I select text... I see the like the little black sh bar that comes up that has cut, copy, paste, the bold, italic, underline, look up, translate. I have all that stuff, and I can do indent. Ignore that, because that's, that's like the text selection. Yeah, that's not it. You know where the uh, text correction, uh, autocorrect and stuff shows up at the bottom? Yeah. Yeah, that's where the AA should be. Right, so if, if you, you click that, it, then you can change your headers and stuff. If I take it off the magic keyboard and select something. Oh, 
I don't get that either. Maybe I turned that off. Well, there. Uh, sorry, I we're we're like troubleshooting in the middle of a call, but I would do. I'm pretty sure there is a setting somewhere that you you can toggle whether or not uh, the bottom bar shows up. Maybe you've got something turned off somewhere. That might be the trick. Anyway, it is it is tricky. I will agree with you. Like the there's a lot of hidden areas in Apple's apps, like notes and reminders, even pages. Like, and one of the key complaints I've seen from a lot of people about the like these apps is that you can't edit URLs. It's insane, right? You know, we we use the notes app for collaboration here, and I see Stephen just posts in all of the just URL text. There's no way to really, I mean, you can click into the text, start typing, type in your, the header you want, and then delete the URL around it. And it becomes the underlined URL link. That's right. really dumb. You shouldn't have to do that. <laughs> but right. like, there's a trick on iOS and iPad OS. I, I know you've seen me do it where you can, if you have a URL attached to a like item like an Apple Insider if you're on our front page and you right click that and copy it yeah that will paste in with the header underlined rather than a, a base URL I don't know why but that's just how Apple's clipboard management system works and it's insane again like because you can't surface it you can't control it and it's just one of those things that like why can't I insert a link and customize it right. in the notes app right. it's it's so weird exactly well anyway things three got updated that's cool uh, listeners if you use Apple notes and you're like power notes user i'd love to hear what you like about it and maybe what you don't like about it so there you go well and and in tangent to to things i guess that would be reminders like uh, if you guys use reminders heavily like is there anything special that you do with that yes i would love to yeah that'd be interesting this episode is brought to you by express vpn Listeners, it is so important to trust the VPN that you use, because if you use the right VPN, you can know that your data and your information, your browsing activity, everything is private and secure. You don't have to worry about anyone snooping on what you're doing. And that's why I can say with full confidence that ExpressVPN is the best VPN on the market. Here's why. ExpressVPN doesn't log any of your activity online. Lots of other cheap or free VPNs make money by selling your data to advertisers just like other companies do online. But ExpressVPN doesn't do this. They even developed a technology called Trusted Server that makes their VPN servers incapable of storing any data at all. And one of the reasons I love ExpressVPN is how fast it is browsing and even streaming video. ExpressVPN now uses Lightway. It's a new VPN protocol they've engineered to make user speeds faster than ever. I've tried many VPNs in the past and they can sometimes slow my connection. You struggle streaming video from your streaming service, but ExpressVPN is always blazing fast and lets me stream videos in HD quality with zero buffering. Not only that, but it's super easy to use. There's no technical skills needed. You just open up the ExpressVPN app, you tap one button and you're connected. Anyone in your family can use ExpressVPN. That's why when my family travels, I have ExpressVPN on all the devices, my kids' devices, my wife's device, iPhones, and iPads. And if we're at a hotel or we're going to use public Wi-Fi for something, I make sure that everyone fires up ExpressVPN. You open up the app, tap one button, and I know they're safe as long as we're there on browsing, doing whatever we need to do. I use ExpressVPN on my phone, iPad, my Mac, and you can even install it on some Wi-Fi routers. This way, you know all the internet activity in your home is fully protected using ExpressVPN. And it's not just me saying this, CNET, The Verge, and many other tech journals rate ExpressVPN the number one VPN in the world. So protect yourself with the VPN that I use and trust. Use our link expressvpn.com slash Apple Insider today and get an extra three months for free with a one-year package. 
That's expressvpn.com slash Apple Insider. Visit expressvpn.com slash Apple Insider to learn more. Our thanks to ExpressVPN for sponsoring this show and protecting my data. All right, Wes, we got to talk about it. We have to talk about the child safety updates. A couple things before we start really diving into people's feelings about it. One, on the last episode I did with Jason Aitken, I was saying Apple really needs to have one of their people do like an interview or something talking about the system. And they actually did that. Apple's VP privacy, Eric Neuenschwander, actually went with TechCrunch and did kind of a written interview, not a video, not an audio thing. It was just kind of written back and forth. And he went on there to explain the system a little more in depth, answer some of the questions. So we have that interview. I'll put that in the show notes, the TechCrunch interview. Two things he did clarify and that I thought was good that they clarified, but also interesting. One, the hash list from the NCMEC database, the National Center for Missing and Exploited Children, the hash list of those images, the CSAM imagery, is built into the operating system. And Eric was saying, quote, the hash list is built into the operating system. We have one global operating system and don't have the ability to target updates to individual users. So hash lists will be shared by all users when the system is enabled. He said this comment because people are talking about what about other governments or other countries that want to include different kinds of imagery into the hash database. And Eric was saying like it gets pushed to all iPhone users around the globe. And so it's not like a country can target their specific iPhone users and another country, you know, that, that's just what he's saying. So that's the first quote. And second, Nilay Patel was really pushing hard on Apple to explicitly say that if you disable iCloud photo library, that no hashing of the photos on your device takes place. Not just matching, because Apple in their FAQ document that came out earlier this week said they will not be matched if you disable iCloud photo library. But Neelai wanted to know, but are your photos still hashed and basically ready to be matched with the NCMEC database? And Eric said in this TechCrunch interview, quote, if users are not using iCloud Photos, the system will not run and will not generate any vouchers. CSAM detection is a neural hash being compared against a database of the known hashes that are part of the operating system image. None of that piece, nor any of the additional parts, including the creation of safety vouchers or the uploading of vouchers to iCloud Photos, is functioning if you're not using iCloud Photos. End quote. So that was from the interview. So, Apple has clarified that if you disable iCloud Photo Library, your photos on device do not get hashed. The database from NCMEC, the hashed database, is still on your device, but no other part of the system after that functions if you disable iCloud Photos. Does it sound like I got that right, Wes? Yeah, that's right. Okay. Now, I did a poll on Twitter because people have a lot of feelings about this. Now, hopefully we have explained the system enough and what it means. I've heard so many journalists, outlets, and other tech podcasters. It's amazing how Apple really wanted people to not say your photos are being scanned. And it's amazing how many popular shows are just saying, talking about it as though Apple is just scanning all your stuff. 
including experts, quote unquote, like these, I, I've, I've been tossed so many links to so many experts that says this expert hates this system and you, you immediately open it up and it's just all of this, you know, wrong information. It's just, where is this coming from? And then you get to the bottom. It's like, you know, if I built it this way and it's like, no, like talk about Apple's thing. What, what are you saying? It, everyone's already confused as it is. And right. I, I don't know. There's just so much confusion around this and there shouldn't be. Right. But we've now we're at the place now where however Apple had hoped it would come across or hoped it would be communicated, it is understood by the general population that Apple will be scanning your photos come iOS 15. Like that's just everyone's understanding of the system, wrong, right or otherwise. Like that's just the perception. And so with that being the perception, people have feelings about it. And so I did a Twitter poll and it's got over 500 votes. So I feel like this is, you know, pretty good segment of at least listeners and followers of Apple Insider. But I gave people three options about the new child safety initiatives. Do you, one, think it's a great plan and have no concern? Two, if people are still not sure yet. And three, people are concerned about privacy. Turns out with that many votes, the split is 31% feel it's a great plan, no concern. So about a third of our listeners and readers feel like all good, no worries. 27% still not sure yet. And the majority of voters, 42%, getting pretty close to half of the people reading and listening to Apple Insider, 42% say they are concerned about privacy with these updates, with the child safety updates. I, I need I need to critique your poll here, all right? Because I, I do want to say yeah. that the choices were fine. I mean, we Twitter polls are terrible for text length and stuff, yeah. but it does skew the answer a bit, I think, because answer number one, we are 100% okay with this. And then answer number three, we are totally bad with this. Seems like the kind of polarity that this discussion just, it's its tough to get around. Like we don't, yeah. <laughs> you know, they're polar opposite ends of each other. Whereas like, I think a lot more people are just, I have concerns that are related to specific things, but not all of the things, you know? So, yeah. I mean, I'll, I'll take the answer like 42% sure that makes sense just because again, like this is a very controversial feature, but at the end of the day, like, what does that 40, what does that mean? Like, are, do they just abhor the idea of Apple doing this? You know? Right. I just feel like there's more discussion to be had about that, that sector of uh, people's thinking anyway. Yeah. And I probably should have specified, you know, what everyone's really talking about is the CSAM Nick Mick database hashing, matching of photos and the vouchers and reporting. Like that's what people are, I think, concerned about. The whole, you know, sensitive content and messages and Siri and search. I don't think anybody's talking about that. I feel like people are conflating the three different systems. So it it is a little bit like the, the head, like obviously like the majority of the conversations taking place around the iCloud photo thing, but some people are still conflating some of that. So I, I think we like as Apple Insider, like we've cleared this up really well. Like our readers, anyone who's actually paid attention to this from our website's point of view should understand the system very well. I, I expect our listeners to uh, understand this. So I don't think we need to break down too many technical details. I mean, a lot of this conversation has been retreading ground, so we'll probably retread some ground today. But I just want to be clear that like if we explain anything, it's just because we need to say it out loud to be part of the conversation, not so much that we think you yeah. don't know what we're talking about kind of thing. Right. So you have been perusing and traveling through Reddit on this topic. What does the overall sentiment feel like? How are people thinking about this, these changes? 
Okay, let, let's let's be clear about one thing. Reddit is a place where people go to hate things. Mm, That's fair. Generally, how it goes. I mean, yes, I, there are areas of Reddit where there are amazing people sharing cat photos, but a lot of Reddit is just about I'm bored. Let's go and yell at someone on the internet, and uh, that's most internet forums. If people have something to say, usually negative, they're going to go online and talk about it. I'll I'll start with a disclaimer here. I'm not an expert on this, you know, cryptography and hash matching and all this stuff. I only know what Apple has published. I only know what experts have said from, you know, that uh, Apple's papers and stuff they've published and all of that. So I will say that going into Reddit and having these discussions, I've gotten some things wrong and people have corrected me, thankfully. Like that's, that's great. I like having that kind of conversation, but that isn't always the case. It seems to be that most people sadly are just out to find something wrong with it and they don't want to have the conversation and that just that just sucks yeah plain plain and simple but um yeah overall the feeling on reddit and other forums that i've perused is basically we hate this don't do this and uh, people have people seem to think that if they yell out enough apple's not going to implement this but as mike and other people um apple insider staff have pointed out numerous times this probably isn't even a choice apple has to make so i'll 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 open by saying my point of view on this, and it's very straightforward. I don't believe at all that this is a privacy violation. I'm I'm with Apple on this, and I know, sure, say whatever you want to say, fanboy, blah blah blah. But I've read the papers, I've talked to you know technical experts, and been corrected on several matters in this, and I still believe that honestly, the way Apple's implementing this is the best case scenario for users. It protects our data, and if it has to be done. I, I would prefer it be done this way versus, say, server-side right. scanning. Right. I don't know how I feel. Like, it's it's such an odd feeling. Like, I will say that I'm not excited by the prospect of this existing. I understand why the technology needs to exist. I'm not, you know, out here saying, oh, yeah, let's just, you know, let's just open up the phone and let the government see it. If you have nothing to hide, you know, then no problem. Like, I will never say that. But I will say that uh, in its implementation, given that Apple probably has to do it, I'm totally fine with it. Like, I, I'm not going to. One of the biggest problems with this conversation has been so far is the slippery slope fallacy where all anyone wants to do is think about, well, what's next? What's next? And I, and I get that. Like, that conversation needs to happen. Yeah. Though, you know, we need to hold Apple accountable and hope that these things aren't abused in the future. But I think it's diluting the current conversation, which is what does it do right now? And until we get everyone to understand what it's doing right now, we can't even talk about what's next. I think what I would like to do to frame the conversation is separate what this system is for and why people are feeling the slippery slope argument. You know, everyone agrees this content, CSAM content, is terrible and should be eliminated. And I think even the people that are worried about these new initiatives are not worried about having that specific content. I think they are. the struggle is, is this a further step in Apple getting access to my data or my photos or whatever it would be. I think the question is, is is this a system that can be abused or changed in the future to affect me and my data? And the answer right now is no. Now, the thing is, is everyone's like, but what if? Okay. Right. What if Apple 
decides to build a rocket ship and blow up the moon. Right? It's <laughs> well, it, it, I, and I know that's a false equivalency, but what I was going to say is, is from a technical perspective and from this interview, New and Schwander, yeah, it basically points out that the way the technology is built now is it can't be used for pretty much anything else other than CSAM effectively. If they tried to even insert other images, say from another government saying, let's, let's catch terrorists. It wouldn't work because of the way the technology is written. From my perspective, that's the same thing as Apple saying we have encryption. The only way the encryption changes is if we physically change it. And no one has ever convinced Apple to change their encryption. So why do we believe now that Apple's going to suddenly start changing their technologies in order to adhere to government wishes? It, it, it hasn't happened before. Why would it happen now? So one caveat to that statement you just made, which I was looking for, what has China done that made Apple change its stance on something? Is there any precedent for that? Yeah, I know where you're going. Yeah. This episode is brought to you by the Nebia by Moen Spa Shower. You've heard me talk about Nebia before, and I use their showers all over my house. I actually have two of them. And the Nebbia by Moen Spa Shower is one of the best shower experiences you can have. And you know you're saving water. Nebbia started in Mexico City where water shortages were a problem, but they came to Silicon Valley to raise money. And none other than Apple CEO Tim Cook was actually Nebbia's very first investor. The product was developed by former Tesla, Apple, and NASA engineers to create that superior shower experience all while saving water. Currently, Nebbia has saved over 175 million gallons of water. So I know the idea of maybe switching out your shower head can be a little intimidating, but let me tell you, I've done it twice now and both times it is super simple. Even if you've never done it before, I didn't never done it before before this, it'll take you about 15 minutes. Maybe it gives you all the instructions and the parts that you need to do it quickly and easily and then you're up and running and then you have a spa-like experience in your shower. I actually have the spa shower with the wand attachment and I highly recommend you get that. And you can put that on this little magnetic dome sticks to the side of the shower. And between the wand and the overhead shower, you're just enveloped in water. It's got great thermal comfort. I got that word from them. It gets super hot. And the rinseability, no matter what soap, shampoo, or conditioner you use, it'll be able to rinse you completely. And I also love the height adjustableness of the Nebbia by Moen Spa Shower. My kids love that too, so they can lower it when they're in there. This is one of Nebbia's most affordable and advanced showers yet, starting at just $199, and it saves 45% of water compared to the standard shower head. It's available in four finishes. I got the brushed nickel finish, so it's fingerprint resistant. looks great in my shower, and you can get lots of accessories to match. I got a shower shelf where you put some shampoos and stuff on top. You hang the loofahs from it and some towel hooks. They're all in that brushed nickel, so they all match and look great. So right now, you can get 15% off Nebbia products because you're a listener of the Apple Insider Podcast. Nebbia normally doesn't do sales, but they've partnered with us for a long time, and it's a great opportunity to upgrade your shower experience. So go to nebbia.com slash Apple Insider, take a look around, and use the coupon code Apple Insider, all one word, when checking out. That's nebbia.com slash Apple Insider, and use the promo code Apple Insider, all one word, when you check out. Our thanks to Nebbia for sponsoring this episode. Yep, I know where you're going, yeah. <laughs> and it turns out that when it comes to iCloud backups and iCloud data, for the entire world, Apple stores users' iCloud data, even if you live in Europe or the UK or another country, when your iCloud data is uploaded, that comes to Apple servers here in the US and the keys to access that iCloud data is stored here in the US. But 
Apple, I'm going to put a, a Reuters article. This was back in 2018. Apple did, at the behest of the Chinese government, allow users who use iPhones in China, their data would be stored in Chinese data centers. And the iCloud keys will also be stored there in the Chinese data centers. So I do think this is just playing a little bit of devil's advocate. I'm not saying this worries me or that this gives credence to the slippery slope article, but (laughs) there was a moment that specifically the Chinese government, I don't know if convinced or coerced, I don't know what the word is to accurately describe what happened, but Apple did change one of their functioning principles in when it comes to iCloud at behest of the Chinese government. Yeah, and I mean they move they move pe- the people's data into servers local to China. And right. I agree that's that's a problem probably because you know authoritarian governments having access to data locally is much more threatening to the citizens than having the data in the United States. And I and I totally agree with that sentiment surrounding that. But um I I and I'm sure you, was, you were probably going to say this it didn't involve changing the code of the operating system. It didn't involve right. changing how devices worked. It just changed where the information was stored. And I will add the caveat too. you know, people on the internet, you can call me a bootlicker or whatever, but I will say that even though this has happened what, 2018, like the article says, have we heard, and I get it, authoritarian regime, we're probably never going to hear anything, but is there any credible evidence to show that those that data being in those servers has led to any damage to the Chinese public? And yes, that can be very hit, easily hidden by these types of things. I I get it, but I'm I'm a data guy. I I need information, and I need more than well. Obviously, it's China. They've done bad things with it. It's I no, I no, just I feel like I need a little bit more information than that to yeah. say oh this. This has obviously led to terrorizing Chinese citizens. And No, no, no. And to be clear, in that same Reuters article, Apple made the statement that this joint venture of moving the iCloud data to Chinese servers or whatever, China does not have any kind of backdoor into that user data. And Apple alone, not its Chinese partner, control the encryption keys for that iCloud data. So Apple made that clear even back then. Right. But I just wanted to mention that as a point of information. And one other point of information before I, I make an actual point. <laughs> but You're fine. I had said on the episode with Jason Aten that I could be wrong, but it feels like this is the first time where data or information from a third party was built into the operating system. Now, I actually got an email from a faithful listener. His name is Luis. I think he's from Argentina. He was saying, what about dictionaries. And this is a very like non-nefarious thing, but aren't dictionaries pre-installed on the iPhone? Not just Apple's dictionary, but others. And I did look, you know, if you go on your iPhone to settings, general dictionaries, you can download like Oxford English and Webster's dictionary, but you can also uncheck and remove that data. So I thought that was an interesting point. And you can also consider things like weather data. You know, if you open the weather app that's pulling weather data from like weather.com or whatever. But if your iPhone wasn't connected to the internet, it wouldn't be able to pull it. You know, it's not like weather.com has some kind of database on the iPhone operating system that powers that app. You know, it's Apple's app. It's just pulling data from the internet when you're connected. So again, I could be wrong, but it feels like this is the first time that a the third party, and again, Nick Mick, incredible organization, they're doing everything right. And again, all the cryptography that's going into obfuscating this information on the phone, that the Nick Mick hashed database of CSAM content that Eric Neuenschwander 
said in the TechCrunch interview that this hash list is built into the operating system. This is, I feel like the first time that there's third-party information literally built into iOS, iPadOS, and macOS. Does that sound like it's accurate? Yeah, as far as like having a database of something right. stored on device, yeah, that, that makes sense to me. That is a, a change that has never been done before, I believe. Right, so not talking about Slippery Slope, I'm talking about this exact initiative, the Child Safety Initiative with Nick Mick and the hashed database of content. Right. This is a new step for Apple and its operating systems and working with third parties. Whereas again, I'm sure they vetted Nick Mick. They have said multiple times, this is US only. So they are not opening it up to other organizations and other countries and all that kind of stuff. But this is the first time that a third party data set even though it's hashed and cryptographically obscured and all that, is literally a part of the operating system, not something that you can go into the settings of your iPhone and remove or uncheck or anything like that. Like it is just a part of the operating system. Right, which means basically now that we've inserted this data, what's preventing Apple from accepting other data sources from other resources or governments or something. And and I've heard this argument and I agree like that that is definitely something we should be policing and talking about and making sure, you know, keeping Apple accountable. And, you know, this type of stuff being a part of the operating system, it is a little bit of a black box. The information can't be examined by the user. So it definitely is crossing a line here and people should be aware and you know, protesting a little bit saying, Hey, you know, if this is happening, make sure this is the only thing that's happening. I think the problem with the discussion personally is that people are saying this should never have happened because now anything can happen, which, you know, that's just right. And so to be clear, I'm not being an alarmist and I will say that no, you're fine. This change, even with this Nick Mc database being part of the operating system, I don't believe is reason for concern. I am not concerned personally about privacy. If you understand the technology, Apple is not doing content recognition on your photos. It's not that you can take a photo with your iPhone and suddenly Apple knows what it was that you took a picture of or what the content of that photo is. Like That's not the technology. And so I'm confident in that. Apple has been explicit about the whole not going to be allow government any kind of oversight into what goes into this. So I'm not worried about the technology. I'm not worried about Apple's stance on this. I'm going to continue using iCloud Photo Library. You know, I have no concern over that. I'm still, you know, paying for Apple One. I'll be using iCloud Photo Library going forward, even after iOS 15. I'm not worried about that. I just think being a different step in their policies like this about including this third-party database into the operating system, I think it's just keeping an eye on if there's ever another change in the future that we need to be very careful. Apple needs to be very careful in communicating that change, being very specific about the practice of what's going on with the technology, what their policy is with whatever third party they might work with, whether it's in another country for the same child safety initiative or anything else. There needs to be explicit and clear communication. And we just need to watch for it. I don't think we need to watch for a slippery slope and watch if Apple's going to do something nefarious or underhanded without us knowing. I'm not worried about that. I just think it. we can be vigilant and say, this system is good. They have done the best they could to protect privacy. I believe it is protecting the privacy of its users. I don't believe Apple is considering or even thinking about having any kind of 
other countries' governments speak into this. I know that they will fight against that. Yeah. But we can at least keep our eyes open for the future. This this topic could be a four-hour podcast, honestly. like I've, sure. I, There's so much information to sift through, but I wanted to hit a couple of high points. First things first, NCMEC is not a government organization, so this is not the government mm-hmm. adding information to your iPhone. That's a good point. This is not a snitch machine. The iPhone is not alerting the police to you having things on your phone. Right. There's a human review process. The human review process takes place through Apple employees, not some third party, right? Correct. And Apple is verifying this information before passing it along to authorities. Users who have no CSAM whatsoever will never know this is even on their device. It isn't taking up processing power. It isn't taking up battery life or uh, memory in your storage. I mean, technically, yes, I get it. It is, but it is so minuscule that it's not actually going to affect any day-to-day operation. And basically... And I hate this. All right. I get it. As a privacy advocate, this is not how this should work. Right. But I'm going to say it. If you don't have any CSAM, you will never be affected by this. That is the same thing as saying if you have nothing to hide. Yeah, I get it. Yeah. yeah. But technically speaking in this system, because it is a technical system, that is the case. Now, generally speaking about privacy, that is a terrible thing to say and doesn't apply to privacy in the real world. But because this is a technical system with limitations, we can say that with a reasonable statement, right? We, yeah. we can we can say that. This system is used to detect not one photo, not one, not five photos, a collection is what Apple's calling it. Now, we don't know what that means. It could be hundreds or thousands of photos, but it is a collection of CSAM is what they're trying to find with the system, meaning that you're not going to you know, someone's not going to spike you with an, a bunch of images in iMessage and suddenly trigger the system. Right. Besides, like you'd have to download the images from iMessage in the first place. Right. AirDrop isn't going to allow this to happen. There's limits to how AirDrop works. You can dismiss it. Like I've seen so many caveats and questions asked about this. I'm just trying to a- address a few of those. Yeah. And, and no, that's good. another small detail, uh, as, uh, the TechCrunch interview said, even if Apple was somehow coerced to add data to the hash system, or if NCMEC was compromised and they started adding terrorist images and other images to the database, the system still works the same. It has to cross a threshold. So we're talking about a collection of terrorist images. What does that even mean? But it's like, it's not like someone can go out here and put one photo of a guy and say, if that person has a photo of this guy, then, you know, they're under arrest. That's not how the system works. And it can't work that way technically. And in order for it to work differently, Apple would have to change it and update the operating system of all of the devices on the planet, right? So it's one of those things. And yes, because the system is built in to the operating system and everyone gets the same iOS, everyone gets the same macOS, that means people in Europe and China where this has not been activated will have a CSAM database from NCMEC in their phone, but it won't be in use until Apple migrates it into that country. And I think there's going to be some legal ramifications for that. And that's why it's only in the U.S. for now. So this could come to other places. But Apple hasn't said that other databases are getting added yet. And that could change. But of course, the databases will be from known sources. That that much is verifiable. The database won't be, but we will at least know the sources, hopefully. People have pointed out that Apple says NCMEC and other sources. What they mean is other child protection sources. So the the only thing in the database is known CSAM, and that is it, at least what is being said. And again, this is one of those things where you kind of have to rely on benefit of the doubt because 
if they are lying, there are major ramifications to that lie. And um, I don't think Apple's risking their, you know, global empire here on a stupid lie such as that. No. no. And finally, I just wanted to bring up one more thing. I know we're, I'm running a little long here. You're good. Third parties. And this has been briefly mentioned and people barely talked about this, but third parties will be able to tap in to this database on your device in the future. So third party apps like Google photos or Dropbox may be able to take advantage app. Now, again, I will clarify, I'm saying this, this isn't directly documented, but Apple has said that there will be a system for third parties to use this, but hasn't said how or the implementation of. So I'll clarify by saying my assumption is that Dropbox, Google Photos and such will be able to access this for on-device hash matching so they can increase the privacy of their own services on iPhone right. using the same system. Right. That could take place in the future. So one, one more thing to clarify. If you want this to never happen on your device, turn off iCloud Photo Library. If yeah. in the future, third parties start using this system, you will have to avoid using those third-party apps unless they give you a toggle, which I doubt they will. Right. So keep in mind, if you're trying to run from this, you're probably not going to be able to because it's a legal requirement <laughs> for services with online servers to search for this stuff. And Apple's given companies now a more private means of doing so. And right. honestly, I believe, and you can correct me if I'm wrong, this is probably setting a precedent that Google and other companies are probably going to follow in the future. Oh, for sure. Android will probably start doing on-device uh, CSAM detection as well, just because it makes more sense from a privacy standpoint. Yeah. Well, listeners, obviously, this is going to be an ongoing conversation as we head into the fall and iOS 15 actually launches. Again, Apple has not implemented any of these systems yet. This is for iOS 15. Probably not going to be in the first version of iOS 15, probably going to be a little later in the fall season, but stay tuned. Again, we would love to hear from you on Twitter, link to that poll that I did. But if you also want to just tweet at myself or Wes, I'd, I'd really be interested. What are your genuine concerns if you are concerned or if you feel like this is fine and good? I'd like to hear from both sides. So again, tweet at us. Those Twitter handles will be in the show notes. But let's end on some lighthearted news and listener feedback hearing from some of you. First of all, Friend of the show, Om Malik, he was actually on the show for an interview earlier in the summer. He actually sent me an email talking about a new social network called Glass.Photo, and it basically aims to be what Instagram started as, a chronological feed of incredible photos shared by photographers and other creators. It is by invite only. You can apply for an invite code if you want to check it out, but Glass.Photo, and I'll link to Om's article about the service in the show notes. There's some great photographers already on there. Sebastian DeWitt is on there, Noah Kalina. And again, it's a really cool app and service now that's just started out. So put a link in show notes to that. Oh, thanks for sending that over. Also got a tweet from Simon Salvin on Twitter. He was actually looking to use an eSIM from a carrier as a second phone line on the iPhone. I wasn't confident if you'd be able to switch phone numbers back and forth or disable certain numbers back and forth. Like if you want like a weekend number and a work number for during the week. But Simon actually went ahead and did the eSIM thing with carriers here in the U.S., and he actually chatted with Apple support and it's possible to switch the SIM from eSIM to the physical SIM in your phone without both being active at the same time. So you can have a Monday through Friday work number and a weekend personal number. And so he's actually gonna be doing that. So really cool. I think that's a great solution. I actually use Google Voice as a second line on my phone. If you've never used Google Voice, but you have a Google account, 
let me recommend. It's a free service from Google. I highly recommend it for anyone who kind of wants a secondary line or a business line that they can access from their phone. You can go to google.com slash voice. You get a phone number. Then you can download the Google Voice app on your iPhone. You can text from that number. It'll go across as SMS. But you can text from that number, call from that number, and receive calls from that number. And then you can even manage your voicemails and texts on the web at google.com slash voice as well. So if you're looking for a second line, the eSIM is a great option, but also check out Google Voice. It's a free service. I'll put a link to that in the show notes as well. And finally, probably the most important news of the week, listener Robert J actually had some follow-up. Last week, William and I mentioned at the very beginning of the show, the phrase on the lamb, which in talking about Neil Hughes being on the run, which he is not. But he actually sent a long article talking about the etymology or the origin of that saying from Grammarphobia. I'll link to his tweet so you can check out Robert J. and then he linked to that article. Apparently it's pronounced on the layum and it's from the Irish Gaelic jump or leap. And then there's a whole history about the etymology and where it might have come from. Spoiler alert, still not exactly known where the original, original thing came from. But anyway, it's a fun article if you like reading about etymology of phrases and words. You should check that out. The link to that tweet will be in the show notes as well. That's the show this week. Listeners, again, we'd love to hear from you. My Twitter handle and Wes's Twitter handle are in the show notes. You can follow us, tweet at us about the child safety initiatives, about the iPhone 13. We'd love to hear what you have to say about all that stuff. Also, if you haven't yet, we'd greatly appreciate a five-star rating and review in Apple Podcasts. That really helps out the show and helps us get on those top charts for technology podcasts and Apple Podcasts. You can also support the show and get an ad-free version, early access, and we have a private Discord if you'd like to chat with us there. I'm in that Discord personally. But you can find that at patreon.com slash Apple Insider. You can support us there or directly in Apple Podcasts. You can even do a free trial for five days and then sign up to subscribe there and support the show. Finally, don't forget to check out HomeKit Insider, Andrew O'Hara and myself. We talk about HomeKit and smart home devices that comes out every Monday. And of course, the Apple Insider Daily Podcast where you get the top Apple news headlines in just a few minutes. Thanks for tuning in. We'll catch you next time.